Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into our Bo's most forgotten work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Thanks, Elliot. And we're back to talk about Signature 8.6, our nameless protagonist's point of view arc. Um, and she uh, continues on her rampage, I suppose, <laughs> dragging this poor, innocent uh, goblin. Well, he's not really poor or innocent, and it's not really a rampage. Look, we're off on the wrong foot here, I think. Let's start again. <laughs> um, our, our nameless point of view character continues to drag Butsack behind herself uh, deep into Johannes's domain, kind of noticing how weird everything is, um, especially how the thing I like the most about this is how the the place seems to operate to funnel things in towards the center in a very kind of unsettling way. Yeah, the whole place feels claustrophobic and mm. kind of on edge. Uh, it's it, it's like you don't necessarily need to be panicking if you're uh, you know a point of view character because she's got protection. Yeah, but I don't For feel now, like you could ever. Right? <laughs> you, you, well, yeah. But I don't feel like anyone could ever relax here. Like, this yep. is not a place where you could ever just be like, oh, okay, I can chill. Like, there's always, even if you're safe, it's just, there's something wrong about yeah, this place. Um, but it's an amusement park. <laughs> the, the least <laughs> relaxing amusement park that I've ever seen. Um, no, you're right. I, I, I kind of, I almost typed that it was scary in my notes, but it's not scary in that sense. Um, it just mm. leaves you really uneasy, right? Um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess this is a question for you. I'm not sure if I, I remembered my first time through, I can't remember if I thought that these were actual people, if we kind of already knew that they were vestiges. Yeah. So I remembered the whole thing about, um, Johannes's domain being like a vestige and yeah. stuff from, uh, Miss Lewis's talk, but yeah. I wasn't sure if that's where Maggie was. Like, I think you could probably go back and look at my library and I think there was one where, uh, one tweet where I was like, are these the, these are the vestiges, right? That are being like tormented. I, I hope, and then later on, I c- kind of felt bad for mm. thinking that, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yes. I was I was very much unsure. I I didn't know yet mm. um, yeah. whether whether what we were seeing was the vestige version or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. But still, it t- it kind of it does feel very uneasy, right? Um, it's very. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of weird stuff that just is off the whole time, right? It, it just doesn't feel good to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so uh, X Maggie kind of wanders past a bunch of people and others and kind of remarks on them as she, you know, makes her way through the domain. Um, one, one that I think is a pretty big example of how off things are is that uh, there are people, people in air quotes, and others kind of talking and chit-chatting, which is really weird. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a whole, a whole segment of this chapter is really dedicated to just a walkthrough of yeah. Johannes' domain yeah. and how not chill it is. Um, and yeah, everything everything from, like, you know, the sun to the the people mm. and the not people uh, mm. is just off. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. And it's an interesting start to the chapter as well, right? Because it is... It, the the first maybe third of this chapter, I want to say, is kind of dedicated to ex Maggie walking more or less by herself, dragging a, at this point, unconscious butt sack, um, and just kind of watching yeah. things. And it gives it this weird kind of quiet feeling to the start of the chapter, um, where 
she is kind of just like a you know like outside at the zoo kind of looking at these weird little situations and seeing how strange everything is it's a weird feeling to the start of the chapter yeah i mean it just it it sort of puts you on edge for the inevitable meeting with johannes like you know that's coming eventually uh and and so it's just sort of setting up how on edge you should be about that because Mm. you know this is his domain and the place is sketchy as fuck mm. uh yeah yeah um yeah so uh x maggie kind of continues to struggle her way through the north end and eventually finds her way to a school yes uh our x maggie not much of a student x halt manages <laughs> to find herself in a school yet again i think yep. i think we've honestly spent more time with her in schools than anywhere else yeah um, which is interesting. There, there, there is such a strong association between Maggie and schools, right? Because obviously she's like, she is a school girl in, in the kind of strictest sense of the word. But it, I kind of feel weird about it because it, it feels like there's a little bit of like us as the spirits kind of associating this core thing to her identity and then it kind of feeding back into the story a bit. Um, yeah. yeah, well, it's interesting because she, she doesn't seem to enjoy school, but she always ends up there yeah. even when she doesn't have to right now. Yeah, totally. Um, one other thing that I want to call out during the first part of this chapter is we, we start to see more and more of, of X Maggie kind of having to struggle to make her way through the, doma- uh, the domain here, right? Um, like a little bit of her feeling weak and uh, kind of uh, feeling the drain of Johannes's domain more. Um, I don't know. It, it 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 worries me because it does feel like she's kind of fading out. <laughs> uh yeah, and and you know, there's some some more concrete examples of what might be filling in the gaps uh, later. But <laughs> yeah. um, obviously, I mean, almost by design, this is a terrible place for humans to be. Yeah. Uh, and or, you know, humans, vestiges, whatever you think the difference there might be. <laughs> um, oh, right. But uh, what I what I wanted to really talk about here is um, uh, like this is sort of the end of the segment of the chapter that we talked about, which is just introducing us to Johanna's domain. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about. Obviously, we know the domain is directly influenced by the practitioner, and they're familiar, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think even with a large domain like this, that probably still holds. So I feel like there's a lot that this domain can tell us about Johannes and is familiar. I mean, I honestly, I'm getting the impression that his familiar might be uh, the 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 main deal here. I feel like Johannes is the uh, the current sort of partner, but mm. the the familiar is probably someone who, you know, has the plans and is, you know, just using Johans for his, you know, mortal status. Interesting. Um, but anyway, I mean, going back to the domain and, and what I think it's saying, like, obviously, Johannes isn't just using this as his home. Like, he's using it as an other Westworld place. <laughs> um, and so that means, like, it's not just, like, his home. Like, I, I don't think I... I don't want to read too much into every little detail because it's sort of... He's setting it up for his customers as much as he is for himself. Um, but I also think that could cross both ways, right? Like, if he's, if he's in, in, like, setting this domain up in a spe- specific way and that attracts certain spirits, those spirits probably feed into him and, and his spirits as well, mm. I would imagine. Mm. Um, anyway... I think like the the whole the whole domain is very sort of on edge and and claustrophobic and it's it's out of time is another beat we hit a few things and I feel yeah. like 
I feel like I'm just getting the impression that Johans is this person who's sort of driven by a lust for power, and he doesn't really, he doesn't uh, maybe even have a goal in mind beyond power. Like, I feel like he could be one of those people who just wants power for power's sake. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Like, he, you know, like there's, I got the sense from the domain that it's almost like he, that's his current limit, and he feels trapped there, and it's all just on edge because he's just waiting to make this play for the Lord of Jacob's Bell that he's clearly going to make. Mm. Um so I don't know. That's that's sort of the connection I, I'm trying to draw here. Is uh, I feel like he's someone who is is just gunning for more power and mm. is sort of tensely waiting in what he sees as his current limit uh, to expand. Interesting. It's interesting the the idea of him kind of feeling limited by this domain uh, because it is the, fucking huge. Yeah, exactly. It's the most <laughs> powerful like thing that we've seen from a immortal so far right like i think that's a fair yeah. point to say um, no of course but you know the thing about humans is you you can become comfortable with your status quo very quickly and, and want to have more i mean that's yeah that's something history has taught us pretty conclusively uh so like i'd be more than willing to believe especially if he's being fed this by his dog familiar that you know i do think maybe he's pulling the strings a lot mm. um they might be in this situation where this is just you know, a face because there's no way Johanna's got this domain without help from his familiar. I mean, we've all kind of assumed that's the case, right? Like the the familiar must have helped him do this because it's ridiculous that he got this domain. So, sure. um, I I definitely feel like it's just you know this is this is stage one of whatever the overall plan that they have might be. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um. Well, I'm not going to comment on that too much because there was a fair amount in there fair that enough. was quite predictive, but let's <laughs> let's just leave it and see how we go, I suppose. Um, so, X maggie at this point, uh, takes uh, Buttsack inside a school and, again, <laughs> Buttsack clearly doesn't have a good experience of being in schools with Maggie because uh, she kind of wakes him up and he starts freaking out when he realizes that he's in Johannes's domain and X maggie basically says, hey, yeah, uh, swear allegiance to me for a year or I'm just going to throw you outside and you can deal with all the horrible things that are out there i love how like skipping back a little bit i love how he's just a complete mess from being dragged along along the road <laughs> like you know i think it's like the description is like his muscles and like some bones were showing like he's been yeah. torn up yeah uh, and, and you know she's not even done with him like she shoots him in the crutch with her lead pipe gun thing um so yeah like it's it, rough like, it, it's, yeah. it's good that he's a goblin that i don't really give too much of a shit about because <laughs> <laughs> um it's pretty horrific uh like e- even though he's a goblin i was still like oh like geez um and, and yeah then obviously yeah she makes him swear allegiance to her and there's this real sense of because he just sort of does it like he gives in very quickly and you you're kind of like oh yeah y- well you're like yeah yay but <laughs> Like that was that was too easy. Like he's really fucking frightened of this place. That like alarm bells. Yeah, and even uh, ex Maggie is surprised at how quickly he he agrees. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and that kind of I, until that I thought this was the reason that she brought him here because bringing him here gives her such bargaining power over him. But she she didn't seem to realize just how powerful that would be so that kind of makes that a bit more of a question mark for me um but regardless yeah it, it worked out pretty well she's she's got a subservient goblin again so that's good maybe <laughs> i mean it seems to be so far but as she says he's presumably doing everything he can to think of a way <laughs> yeah. out of this uh, <laughs> yeah. um but yeah um 
I mean, I think a huge part of why she brought him was it was very theatrical. Like, mm. you know, not not just killing the leader of the goblins, but yeah. imprisoning him and taking him with her, I think may have just been part of the whole show. And yeah, I think there may have been part of her plan was to like, oh, maybe I can get something out of him. Like, she was probably expecting him to haggle. <laughs> yeah, I'm maybe imagining. Maybe this is how she starts her goblin <laughs> negotiations. It's like, you know, obey me for a year and eventually they end up with like, he gives her a piece of information about your house or, or something. Or yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> so, Butzak agrees to be subservient to her. And as part of this kind of... She makes him bend to follow some, like, laws of etiquette. Which <laughs> make nice Butzak my favourite character. He's so, like, reluctantly kind. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the best. It's, it's comedy gold. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Like, him... It, I mean, I, I would have pulled out specific quotes so we could read them, but I would have just had to pull every single one because they're all, like, fucking hilarious. It's a it's a brilliant idea to take this character you spent the entire arc building up as just an insufferable asshole yep. and then have him be, like, magically bound to have to <laughs> try and be nice and watch him try and figure out how he can do it in the worst possible way. Like, he's, yep. he's constantly trying to be maliciously compliant and it's great. <laughs> Yes, it's awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, Scarf Girl kind of is is dominating Butzak, and uh, this young girl kind of is watching them. Um, X Maggie turns around and notices this young girl watching them, and she then runs off, and they kind of follow her to find this kind of small enclave of of hiding children, vestige children. Well, and even then, not not so much <laughs> yeah, children sure. anymore. Mostly they're vestige children. They're also part <laughs> uh, mouse. Um, yeah, so let's talk about these these uh, mouseketeers, as we'll call them. Um, <laughs> and, I, love, sorry, I love that name. <laughs> yeah, so and, and we'll kind of bounce back to the Westworld comparison as well, because I'm. I think the the theme of what I want to talk about here is um, X Maggie seems pretty horrified by by this stuff, right? Yeah, but I. Kind of thinking about it, I was I was totally kind of falling into the I don't know the the Westworld morality question, and I think we kind of uh, argued this out for a while on our on our Westworld episode of Media MD as well. But I'm bringing it back yeah. up again here because I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of on the on the side of I guess Johannes slash the the Westworld corporations um, <laughs> because like well okay I, here's the question to me is. How much do these vestiges actually have sentience slash, you know, possess the capability for emotion versus just being designed to kind of exhibit symptoms of that so that the others that want to torment these things can kind of be satisfied? Because I I kind of feel like they are less sentient and more kind of echo than than sentient creature, you know? Um, which makes me feel like, I don't know, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> well, I guess I, I have two follow-up questions to that, which is, first of all, are you, I mean, do you think Rose is different to the vestiges yeah. here then? Or? So this is a okay. question, because I was thinking about this as well, right? I was thinking like, okay, well, let me imagine Rose in this position. Rose is obviously sentient. Like, we've been with her long enough to know that she's, yeah. she is an independent creature, Um I don't know. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I feel like she's more sentient, but then again, we've just spent, you know, eight, eight uh, arcs of this story with her. So maybe I'm just kind of being a bit biased there. Maybe she isn't a special case and this is actually horrible. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to, to bring it back to the Westworld comparison, I guess, if it was real people, Mm. 
this was happening to and their memories were getting wiped at the end of every night would you have more of a problem with that than what happens to the westworld robots well yes because the real people you know the the difference is that in that moment they're experiencing like pain and trauma right whereas I don't think the robots in Westworld, you know, putting aside the whole sentience revolution stuff that we'll talk about when we talk more about Westworld back <laughs> on MDMD, but, um, you know, when when these are just robots that are exhibiting symptoms of, uh, of, of sentience, but not actually ha- having sentience, then I'm totally fine with it. Like, they're not, I don't think they're actually, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think, I think we are just rehashing this argument because again, like my, <laughs> my thinking is just what, What's the difference? Like, what makes a human experiencing these emotions more pure than a mm. machine or a vestige? Because I don't think it, they're essentially actually feeling experiencing the, same thing. the emotions. I think they're 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 displaying signs that they're experiencing the emotions, but inside their brain, it's just oh, okay, one zero 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 one one zero zero. All right, fine. Well, I mean, that's you can break down human neural pathways <laughs> into ones and zeros. Like, well, okay, okay, but let me just say this, Elliot. <laughs> The one last point I have to make about this is these violent delights do have violent ends. So that is a good point. Oh, oh good point. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. And we can probably argue this forever. I mean, like, yeah, to an outside I, I, observer, I, there's no difference between a fucking Westworld robot and an actual human. So maybe it is just a moot point. It, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I, I definitely agree that there is this sort of instinctive... And I, I felt this, like, uh, uh, you know, again, you can see it in my live read, there's this bit where I'm like, oh, they're just vestiges, it's okay. Like, there's this bit in... There's almost this instinctive reaction in a person to be like, oh, it doesn't yeah, count. Yeah. And then I thought about it. I think my very next live tweet was like, actually, no, that's still pretty bad. Because, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, I'm of the opinion that if if it passes the Turing test, you may as well consider it. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. You know, as, as sentient. So, um, yeah, and I mean, that's something... Because we, we see our protagonist have opinions on both sides of this mm. throughout the chapter where she as she's walking through there's very much a sense of a, at the start it's like oh they're fake and i think that's something she's trying to convince herself and mm. then the more she interacts with them the more she starts to think this is pretty fucked up yeah yeah you're right yeah um i don't know i guess there's not there's no uh, good answer to this um uh- i mean just as, as a little aside i find this argument and the sides we're taking on a little bit ironic considering you're the vegetarian and i'm not <laughs> Um, I, I, well, if it's something, if it's an animal, you know, animals I know have emotions, right? Like fucking robots don't have emotions. They're just robots. <laughs> you, you just got some sort of this, you, you got to check your, I don't know, birth privilege sure. against things, <laughs> sure. against things that weren't birthed. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, let's move on here. <laughs> um, so <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Scarf Girl kind of speaks with the Mouseketeers and does something interesting that I didn't expect, which is basically the first thing she does is try and explain to them what they actually are, that they're not actually, you know, real people. Uh, and that's in text, Elliot. They're not real people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, they're shadows of their former selves. They don't have any of the kind of realness of the originals and they're, they're doomed to expire soon. Which, does that, does that remind you of anyone there, Elliot? <laughs> yeah. Blake, is that where you're going? Yeah, well, sure. I, every point of view character in this damn story with an expiry date. Um, yeah. Um, no, it's interesting that she decides to tell them all this. Because I guess, you know, it's the whole she's trading for information. But mm. she could have picked less destructive information. Yeah. yeah, because it does kind of mess with them, as of course it should, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and and it's 
this is actually one of the points that I, okay i'm not we're not going to reopen this again but the 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 fact that their their reactions to this are kind of understated because they are kind of vestiges like i feel like they're kind of staying more in their their role here of being the scared children and not kind of stepping outside of that to kind of start a Dolores-esque revolution or anything like that. Um, I mean, that has more to do with the spirits in them than vestigism, well, I think. Th- well, that's yeah. fair. Um, because, yeah, th- this is a, a, a horrifying slash cool <laughs> thing. <laughs> um, these these vestiges have, have kind of withered enough that... Uh, there are spirits inhabiting um, spirits of mice mostly, but the spirit of a pregnant dog in one of them. Um, and it, it, it which gives is like, them this... does that mean does, do spirits get pregnant like that? Uh, that, uh, that raise, or is it just or is the yeah. spirit of a pregnant dog? Yeah, like, it raises so many questions, and I'm so glad that our protagonist was smart enough to be like, I don't want to know the answers to those because well, <laughs> I think neither do I. It's no, creepy. no, no, no. Here's what it is. So there's obviously like human spirits of fertility, right? And this is just like the mm-hmm. dog. You know, dogs have their own versions of the spirits, and this is the dog spirit of fertility. And that's it. It's fine. It's not creepy at I all. I mean, I think, just going back to most imagery of fertility gods, I can think of it's usually just giant penises, but <laughs> okay. I guess pregnancy works too. Yeah, of course. Um, anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I, I like the idea of these, uh, these, these animal spirits kind of inhabiting the broken bits of of these vestiges and one of the main reasons i like it actually is we've kind of had this idea of oh blake is damaged maybe he's got a spirit in him back in whatever arc five six um Mm. and and we kind of touched on the same thing for for scarf girl here like a chapter or two ago and it's nice to actually see what that tangibly looks like like what does it look like to be broken and have some spirits inhabiting you oh it looks like this it means that you have you know fucking mouse spirits for teeth or whatever yeah i mean i loved that bit um, <laughs> you're a monster Elliot, if you love that bit <laughs> it, was, it was horrifying i yeah. loved every second yeah. of it um no i agree it, like, i love this idea that the site manifests itself differently for every person because yeah. it means every pov character can offer us a new sort of model like i really like this simple model maggie's not my ex maggie's a site presented with her for this which is the people had chunks missing out of them and there were mice pregnant dogs whatever filling in those gaps yeah uh, it's such a you know it's obviously a very simple model for illustrating that they're possessed by these spirits um yeah yeah it was it was awesome and gross and i loved it <laughs> yep classic classic descriptor of wild boys works um <laughs> so uh, yeah so so scarf girl kind of keeps talking to them uh and as she does as she kind of explains her situation to them johannes arrives being like oh so that's what happened to you interesting um and uh yeah basically johannes offers her his help in exchange for her being a kind of lieutenant of his um and it's a good deal it's another good deal yeah, I know. She's getting a lot more of those than Blake ever did. Yeah, totally. Who knew you just have to not be associated with the Diabolist and everyone will just kind of <laughs> hand you good shit. Um, yeah, uh, so it, it's a... Okay, so two things I want to talk about here. One is Maggie is really ex-Maggie. Ex-Maggie is really kind of the, the, the bell of the ball here, right? Being wooed by a bunch of different groups. And that's kind of been happening throughout this entire chapter. First with the, uh, the young justice crew of, uh, young Bahames and Duchamps, then kind of Sandra, um, even possibly Andy might've been doing some of that. And now Johannes clearly is, um, I mean, regardless of Andy's motives, I mean, the fact is it, it the whole situation went very well for her, yeah. uh, all things considered. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. She's definitely picked the right time and place to be in trouble apparently because everyone is, 
scrounging around for every potential advantage they can get. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she clearly isn't like a powerhouse, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a great offer. Um, Johannes says he can get her name back. And, you know, she'd be guaranteed a seat at the table when he kind of ascends to power, which seems fairly likely based on how powerful he seems to be. Um, I mean, he's definitely he's definitely in with a good shot from yeah. the seams of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and also, he seems pretty chill. Like, he seems like he's being pretty good about this whole thing, putting aside the, uh, the, the Mouseketeers, depending on your read of that, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, you know uh exactly like he seems pretty chill except for the horror amusement park that he runs in his house um in his basement more or less yeah uh so i mean obviously i think the interesting thing here is that johannes thinks he has enough sway mm. to get her name back from uh pado like yeah I, I i think i've said multiple times that i expect her not to get her name back but to have to try and pick a new one mm. um or, or take molly's um but it's interesting because, like, you know, obviously we had Sandra sort of say that regardless of what it is or whatever, like, with the fairy, just, just, it's not worth it. Um, you know, it, it's never, it's never worth it. And, and there was a thing in her speech that, to me, drew connections to the satyr she saved in her interlude and implied mm. that they went back to the fairy, uh, which really puts that in perspective because that was very much a time where she was coming into that confrontation from a place of power. And it still seems like in the end, it was just not at all worth it. Yeah. Um, so I'm more inclined to believe Sandra was correct in that when she said Johannes is maybe overconfident, like he might be strong enough that they're willing to make this deal with him, but it will be part of some fucking game shit that, you know, comes back to bite him in the ass. And if, you know, she becomes Maggie again and is tied to him, then something getting him in the ass would presumably not be great for her either. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I don't know. I, I, I do think that, taking this offer at face value, assuming that there's no tricks, which obviously isn't a fair assumption, but <laughs> just looking at it at face value for now, it it's a good deal. It's a good... Again, it's a great yes. deal. Maggie's been offered a lot of great deals this entire arc. Well, and so that's, that's sort of where I wanted to go with this, because I agree that at face value, it's the smart thing to do. But w- when she was Maggie, she got that deal from the Young Justice, and we talked mm. about how there was... She was at odds between the right thing to do and the smart thing to do. Mm. And she chose the smart thing and it didn't work out very well for her. But that wasn't because um, of that. That was because she f- did the dumb thing and trusted well, Audrey. Not, I mean, yes, but he did try to convince her to go. Sure. Before, like, that was sort of, this was, him taking her name was the sort of, uh, she's not going to do it, like you know, I'll take this into my own hands. Mm. But he was, his first thing, the first thing he did was try to just convince her to go. So, like, you know, this isn't sort of fair or anything, but you you, you can make the argument that because <laughs> she chose that thing that... Sure, this, and I think Podrick this would is why. make that argument. Yes, he definitely um, would. Um, yeah. Anyway, the point is, like, you know, you can, you can sort of say that making the smart choice is what opened her up to somebody taking advantage of her and Mm. i don't think any of us including our point of view character is stupid enough to believe that she will not have to cross a lot of moral lines in servitude to Johannes. well Uh, so she's very much yeah like like, there's no way that this will be a job where she always gets to do good things yeah um so this is another opportunity for her to pick between the right and the smart thing and we very much get the impression at the end of the chapter that she's gone with the smart Mm. uh in air quotes decision but i think I'm actually hoping I'm put I'm putting all my chips down on 
uh, it's a fake out, and she's she's going to turn the the offer down eventually. Maybe maybe not at first, but I think should I should I, I put I think, this in the in the sheet? Um. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh. Yeah. Yes. I'll commit. Um, Ooh. Yeah. I I think she's going to flip, and uh, maybe she'll do it at first, but um, she's going to flip and do the right thing, not the smart thing. And I hope that the message of this interlude is that in the end that kind of works out. All right. I've written down, X Maggie won't take your harness's deal. Lock it in. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because if she takes it, she can't get out. That's the whole practitioner <laughs> deal. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, presumably next <laughs> next chapter. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of yeah. room for this one to come out, I don't think. Unless, unless it's going to leave it on a cliffhanger and, and wait for whoever Arc9's POV is to... To catch up no you have to wait for whoever arc 9's pov is and then a few arcs for them to get to the erasure <laughs> team and have a crack at it and then they lose and then we jump back <laughs> to x maggie again <laughs> yeah after they're finished catching pose again in arc 12 yeah. um so x maggie promises to consider his offer but seems pretty keen um and and in the meantime kind of takes some no strings attached help from him uh one of the things she does is borrows a phone from him uh at first he kind of drawed to life drawn to life's a phone for her but then she needs a real <laughs> one so uh she borrows his phone and uses it to call her mum speaking with her until the battery runs out just about miscellaneous catch-up things yeah um and so before we get to the phone call because that's obviously a whole thing um how crazy is a bit where she's like, uh, I, I need to be gone by 3.30 or something. And Johannes is like, oh, well, what time would you like it to be when you leave? <laughs> and yeah. she's just sort of like, oh, you know, like ideally 3.30. Whereas like in my mind, I was going, oh my God, this is terrifying. Like, yeah. how? And then it turns out she's been there for a day and it's just like that. That's that sort of, I, I think a, a lot of what seems to get to me the most in this book is stuff fucking with your perception and like your inner brain. Like, you know, the thing that freaked me out the most a few chapters ago was when uh, our POV character felt no connection to the name Maggie Holt anymore. Yeah. Um, but that stuff really gets to me. The concept that you just lose track of time because of this place just freaks me out. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't freak her out enough as far as I'm concerned. I think the whole t- seeming time manipulation thing here um again is just another beat of like yeah johannes is actually like really powerful <laughs> like yeah, he can yeah. actually basically just do whatever the fuck he wants in this huge area of town um yeah because well, we sort of knew uh practitioners were essentially gods in their domain uh you know essentially and you forget that he has this huge fucking area where he's essentially a god and it's like honestly it'd be weird if he didn't have a bit of a god complex um at that point yeah yeah i feel that um yeah how could you not if basically half of this town was <laughs> yeah, could, could yeah. literally bend to your will yeah exactly i think i think it would be hard for someone to keep that in perspective yeah especially if you spend a lot of time there yeah um so th- this call with her mum begins like this uh, maggie says mum it's me her mum responds it's and maggie says me just me um and they it's just such a nice it's a great way to end the chapter, right? It's it's a very nice and wholesome conversation. But there is this, like, undercurrent through it of feeling like Maggie is kind of running out of steam. Sorry, uh, Scarf Girl is running out of sk- of steam, right? Um, it, it, it makes me nervous because it gives me this feeling of, like, not giving up, but just kind of, like, I don't know, setting her affairs in order before she dies. <laughs> yeah there's a real there's a real sense of this being a farewell yeah um or uh, there's a sense of resignation i think this is her um you're right like just sort of cleaning things out before 
she moves on and you know i think the implication that we're definitely meant to feel is it's because she is planning on saying yes to johannes and so it's sort of like you know this is her saying goodbye to her mum. yeah basically well i mean if she gets her name back she can call her mum again why not you know well yeah but she'll be in service to johannes and it's like you know i don't think she'll have much time for social shilling um is the assumption i would be working off of if i was planning on taking this deal (laughs) sure sure um yeah no you're right it it does feel like a a farewell in a weird way that kind of makes me nervous um Mm. maybe it is i you know i kind of get a bit of that vibe of like she's saying goodbye because once she's in service to johannes that's that's kind of it for for a sense but it feels like it doesn't quite feel like that to me because it doesn't feel like it's a hey i'll still be around but i won't be able to talk to you much it does i don't know i guess that's a subtle distinction no but you're right maybe that was part of what was feeding me like i I, as i was saying i had this idea that she's planning on not taking the deal and um that angle would certainly line up more with that thinking Mm. um anyway that's how our uh 8.6 ends uh now, before we end our episode, we wanted to talk about some comments from five years ago when people first, when this episode first came out, uh, when this chapter first came out, to see what people were saying at the time. Um, I'm going to start off with mine because I think it's going to mm-hmm. reinvigorate this argument a little bit <laughs> uh, because this is a thread by a bunch of people, but it was started by Great Worm Gold. Um, Basically saying that, or this wasn't, I don't think, what Great Worm God said, but what kind of a few other people put together to form this conclusion, uh, that Johannes is kind of providing a service to these others, right? He's, he's, uh, he is allowing them to hunt vestiges instead of hunting people, right? And so he's kind of doing a great service to the community by taking others who might be hunting actual people and instead having them hunt others uh, having them hunt vestiges right and sure yes you know these children and presumably the other vestiges had to kind of give up their shadows which kind of there was an analogy given to kind of donating blood there um Mm. so they have to kind of unwittingly suffer a bit of a a pep hit there but you know that's that's better than if they were hunted down by dangerous (laughs) others others. yeah so um yeah johannes did nothing wrong (laughs) Okay, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think to engage in a discussion on this at all, we obviously have to leave behind the idea that the vestiges are just as emotionally uh, important as the real people. Like, so yeah. I will I will leave that opinion aside for mm-hmm. the sake of this mm-hmm. argument, but obviously that is that is still my opinion, so <laughs> okay. I think this is invalid right, from its core. With that assumption, um, you're right, it is invalid. Uh, but, uh, okay, so assuming that the vestiges don't matter... Mm. Um, I mean, this is interesting. I could see that argument, but again, that's sort of like saying, well, you know, if you have... Uh, this this example is probably a bit too real. Uh, if you have online message boards just for Nazis and, and mm. stuff, and it's like, oh, well, it keeps all their Nazi talk in there. It's like, yeah, but it also kind of encourages it and, you know, helps them network with each other and shit. I, um, okay, <clears throat> we are again... <laughs> what is it with us getting too political lately, Elliot? But you, no, I, I, I hear that, but my counter to that would be that... Um, I don't think people, humans, are inherently predisposed to be Nazis. Radical idea, I know, but <laughs> bear with me. Uh, whereas I do think others are, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, like unfair to others to say that mostly a lot of types of others that we see are predisposed towards, you know, like violently mutilating humans. 
Yeah, no, you're right. That's very fair. Um, I think it's interesting because I guess the uh, kid who grew up watching Stargate in me just thinks the solution is, well, you just kill all of the others that are like that, you know. <laughs> um, Stargate very much took the opinion that if you essentially commit genocide but it's on a race that preys on humans then it's okay yeah um sure. which is something I, I didn't appreciate the mm. uh, uh, uh moral ambiguity of until i was much older yeah. um but yeah no i guess i guess that's fair if we're talking about creatures that you don't just think should be wiped out mm. uh and uh you know i guess do have a natural desire to fuck with people like this then i yeah i guess May arguably yeah. I've kind of flipped myself around on it now because I'm thinking I'm thinking <laughs> about Evan and he is like an other, right? Capital O other. And yes, he's not like a goblin or a fairy or a demon. He's a, a ghost, which really are the most like have the most capacity for kind of being docile of all the others that we've seen, I suppose. Mm. Um but the fact that he is so clearly like a force for good makes me think that Maybe we are just playing into a practitioner propaganda here by assuming that all others are inherently evil. Yeah, oh, I mean, and it falls back to that thing, like how much do you indulge a broken system? Like, you know, as much of these others are maybe natural or something, if they're part of a shit system, you know, you got to mm. reevaluate that. Like, does an incarnation of conquest have to be torturing and kidnapping and stuff, people? Or is there other ways for such an incarnation to exist mm. is, is sort of... So questions you got to evaluate before you can just either write them off or, or say yeah. that, you know, there's nothing to be done. Maybe there's like a safe, consensual way for an incarnation of Conquest to get its rocks off that doesn't involve, you know, torture. I mean, maybe. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there's there's hopefully something. Mm. Um, yeah. Anyway, leave us uh, your anyway. comments on who's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess my, my comment that I brought from five years ago yeah. is much... Uh, much shorter uh as, as an idea but uh i pulled a comment from some guy mm. and he so some guy compares johannes's whole uh shtick in this chapter to like the pied piper story yeah um which uh, you know i just like i thought that was a neat little connection i don't think i'm gonna put too much weight in it as like some symbolic thing that was intentional but uh you know just the Ooh. fact that there are kids running around with mice in them uh, uh in this chapter and johannes literally recruits a, a a kid in ex maggie here like there's, there's some interesting that, comparisons he has to be made a, he has a set of pipes i think it is intentional he isn't his implement like a set of pipes oh it was a brass pipe uh no you're right it was some pipes that he was banging against a ring right um i don't know which one's his implement but yeah, maybe it's um, not as that's a good point. Maybe it's just a tool that he has. I feel like taking the thread of Maggie's ex Maggie's story here being pretty fairy tale esque throughout the past few chapters, I feel like it's it's intentional to have Johannes be a Pied Piper. Yeah, I actually forgot about the the pipes that he was carrying. You're right. It's actually like a much better connection than I was even giving it credit for. Um yeah, anyway, it's definitely fun, regardless of yeah. whether it has additional meaning or not. Yeah. It's it's fun. I love it um yeah i i wonder if that means good or bad things for his character probably bad i mean the pied piper was uh, like the villain of that story <laughs> um i mean arguably the mayor who refused to pay him yeah is, you're right he was just um, an entrepreneurial kind of guy well no actually no you know i take that back because like <laughs> an appropriate response to not being paid is not to kidnap and they were collateral hundreds of they kids. were collateral it was um, in the contract you should have read the contract they were the collateral <laughs> everyone knows that that's such a practitioner uh, <laughs> line of reasoning. If you don't pay me, I get to take your children. It's common collateral, like you know, it's Rumpelstiltskin. It's the Rumpelstiltskin clause they call it. 
Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I do like the connection. I think it kind of richens the world having these having these anal- analogs that kind of run parallel to the story. Yeah. Um, but that's so that's us for for this episode Uh, yeah thanks for joining us everybody uh remember we will be talking about uh the discussion question which is who do you think should be the lord of jacob's bell uh in episode 9.1 in in about four or five days so um make sure you leave your answers to that in the discussion thread which will be linked down in the uh comments down below and in fact you should definitely get it into this one because uh because we've got a bonus chapter this week our recording mm. schedule is pretty crammed yeah if you throw it in 8.7's one in in a couple of days chances are we won't really have time to see unless it you're really quick yeah yeah so uh it, you know if you've if you've got an answer that you really want to give us uh <laughs> make sure to chuck it in by uh 8.6's and like you know by the date i mean you can't put it in 8.6's in like three weeks from now and then claim that we didn't mm-hmm. read it out that doesn't That's make sense it's only your own fault um, um yeah <laughs> yeah so leave it there uh now elliot you mentioned your live reads earlier in this episode what what are those where can i find those <laughs> um, they're available <laughs> they're available on the twitter mm. uh our twitter handle is at media md podcast uh and you know we we do all sorts of stuff there but at the moment um you know by the numbers it's probably mostly the live reads uh just because a live raid consists of many tweets. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's also a great way to interact with us if you want to send us cool memes that you saw on Twitter or, uh, <laughs> you know, tweeted us pictures of the McElroys or whatever. Uh, that's the place to do it. Um, if you want to find out more about the Doof Media Network, the best place to do to go for that is doofmedia.com. Um, has info on all the other shows on the Doof Media Network and a calendar. So you can find out just when is that next episode of Vow to View coming out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once you've found out more about Doof Media, if you want to contribute more to Doof mm. Media, head over to patreon.com slash doofmedia. There's a link on doofmedia.com to <laughs> patreon.com slash doofmedia. You've said it so much, it's losing your meaning. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, patreon.com slash doofmedia is where you can find uh, the all the info on the great perks you get for becoming a patron. Now, the phrase Doof Media may have lost all meaning because you've said it so much, but you know it will never lose all meaning for me uh, Elliot, that's the feeling of happiness that I get from knowing that I'm able to support the works of Wildbo. Um, that feeling will never lose its meaning because it, it keeps me going. Uh, and if you want to em- em- embrace that warm, fuzzy feeling as well, the best way to achieve it is to go to www.patreon.com forward slash Wildbo and support Wildbo because he makes all these great, cool stories. Exactly. It doesn't just keep you going, that mm-hmm. warm, fuzzy feeling. It also it keeps, keeps Wildbo going because yeah. it, it, it gives him money. Um <laughs> Anyway, so apart from all that, we'll see you all on Wednesday, the 24th of July, as we discuss uh, the final Maggie interlude chapter. Uh, well, no, it, it isn't the Maggie interlude, is it? Because she hasn't no. had that name for like three quarters of it. Who knows what uh, it, whose interlude it is? <laughs> uh, Scarf Girl's interlude arc, uh, final chapter, Wednesday, 24th of July. I think I've already said this bit. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.